I don't know, are you one of those people that uh, when it's Christmas time you fiddle around the Christmas tree and grab the presents and give them a shake to try and work out uh, what presents you're getting for Christmas? Uh, maybe you're the type of person that dips their finger in the pot before dinner just to see what dinner's going to taste like, wanting to make sure uh, dinner's going to taste okay. Uh, if you do do that, it's not very flattering to the cook. Let me just point that out. Um, there are times there, aren't there, that when we're trying to guarantee something about the future. Uh, my classic is leaving really early to make sure that I get to the movies on time because I don't want to miss out on a seat. Uh, but now that I'm living in Dubbo, I'm getting over that. Uh, when Catherine and I were buying our house, we, made, we moved things real fast to try and make sure that no one else got in and beat us. Now, we got our deposit organised. We had the searches done, all that sort of stuff. We quickly put down our deposit because we wanted to guarantee that the house would be ours in the future. The bit of numbers that we're up to this morning is all about God guaranteeing the future. He gives us a deposit, if you like, a sneak preview of life in the future to guarantee to us that all of it will come. Now, for Israel, it was being given some of the promised land to show them that the rest of it would come. For us, it's being given the Holy Spirit of God, which means that as we live now, we should long for the future. We should groan for the future, this future that God's guaranteed to us by giving us a taste of what's to come in his Holy Spirit. But first to Numbers, and let's see what it teaches us of God. And in chapter 20, we hit the end of an era. Uh, This is the end of the 40-year wandering around the desert of the Israelites. You remember God said to the first generation uh, after after the Exodus that they would die out in the desert, and then he would bring their children into the land. He said it would take 40 years. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Well, we're at the end of it here. Just about everyone's died. It's the end of an era, which leaves us with the second generation. It's their turn. It's the children's turn to move on toward the promised land. But before God gives them a taste of what's to come, the people of Israel give God a taste of what's in store for him. And unfortunately, it was more of what their parents had dished up. Uh, All through Numbers, hopefully you recall, uh, we've listened to Israel grumble and complain to God about their lack of food, how life was much better when they were slaves in Egypt. Well, in chapter 20, the second generation serves up more on the platter. We'll pick it up from verse 2 of chapter 20. Verse 2. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It's no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. Sometimes reading numbers is a bit like listening to a broken record. It just keeps playing the same spot over. It's all too familiar, isn't it? The grumbling of the Israelites. The second generation, just like the first. Now, in response to this, God graciously gives them water, very kindly. But in the process, Moses and Aaron sin, and they are judged. To give the people water, God told Moses, take his staff. He and Aaron were to gather the people, speak to a rock, and the water would come out. So Moses and Aaron gather everyone together, But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses strikes the rock twice with his staff 
Now, water still gushes out, but for their disobedience, Moses and Aaron are told that they'll die before the people go into the land. Now, this is serious stuff. Uh, It's not exactly clear what they did wrong, but it is clear that they were in the wrong. And as a result, Moses and Aaron are disqualified from entering the promised land. They'll miss out on the inheritance of God's people. And chapter 20 ends with Aaron dying on a mountaintop. It's a sad chapter, chapter 20. The new generation, they're not showing any real promise. The heroes and leaders are stumbling and dying. But in the background, we have the promise of God that it would be the second generation that would go into the promised land. Things aren't looking good in chapter 20, but there's reason for hope. It's a bit like the time uh, Abraham and Sarah were told that they'd have a baby. It didn't look good. They were too old. Remember this in Genesis? But God gave them hope. He promised them a son. And what do you know? Sarah had a baby. Or it's a bit like the time Israel was in slavery in Egypt. But God said he'd get them out. And he got them out. Uh, There's a time Israel was exiled as prisoners of war in Babylon. Doesn't look good. But God said he'd bring them back. There's reason for hope. And what do you know? He brought them back. Well, there's a time that Jesus lay dead in a tomb. But Jesus said he'd come back to life. Didn't look good, but there's a reason for hope. What do you know? He came back to life. Things look bad, but God's word gave reason for hope. It's the same again here in chapter 20. Things look bad, but we've got God's promising word. And so as we head into chapter 21, we're looking for signs of hope. And we're not disappointed right from the opening verses. Chapter 21 is all about Old Testament Israel being given tastes of the future by God. It's a great future that God has in store for his people. And chapter 21 sees God giving them deposits to guarantee that future. It starts off with some fireworks in chapter 21. We're actually going to miss the fireworks, though, if we don't remember what's gone on before. So very quick recap. Back in chapter 14, you remember, hopefully, the first generation refused to go into the promised land. Remember that? God brings them to the brink, but they say, we don't want to go in. We're too scared. We don't trust you. And so God said, well, if you don't want to go in, you're not going to get it. And so you have to wander around the desert for 40 years and die. And so Israel then said, well, all right, then we will go. And God said, well, you can try, but you're not going to win. I'm not going to be with you. If you try, you will be beaten. So they had to go anyway, of course they lost, and we're told that they were beaten on that day all the way to Hormah. Remember that name, Hormah. Chapter 21 kicks off with a second generation poised to approach the promised land, and God gives them a taste of what's to come. Verse 1, listen to the fireworks. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord, if you'll deliver these people into our hands, we'll totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Hormah. Do you hear that? They're back at Hormah, the very place Israel was defeated before. Here they are again, trying to go in again, and this time... They enjoy victory. It's a taste of things to come. It's a pledge of success for the conquest that will soon begin. The significance of this, their first military victory, 
is that there's more to come. God will bring this generation in. It's a bit like putting a deposit on a house. Uh, One of the reasons we have to put down a deposit is to guarantee that there's more where that came from. Uh, The deposit guarantees you're going to cough up the rest in due time. The deposit has to be significant enough, though, doesn't it? It has to be significant enough to convince the seller you're going to come through with the rest. Well, the victory God gave Old Testament Israel at Hormah was a significant deposit. Hormah's the very place where their parents were defeated, trying to go into the promised land, but here God completely reverses it. Where there was defeat, there's now victory. Where there was a denial of entry into the promised land, now there's open doors. God's turned things completely around for the second generation. It will not be like what happened to their parents. God is going to bring these, the children in. The victory at Hormah was a deposit guaranteeing future victories, guaranteeing the promised land. Now, before we start thinking that it was because the second generation were a bunch of heroes, a special lot of people with unique abilities, the very next incident teaches us that this generation was not superior in any way to their parents. In fact, they're just like their parents, grumblers and complainers. Have a look at verse 4, chapter 21, verse 4. After the victory at Hormah, they travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water. We detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. Many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. Put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at it, looked at the bronze snake, he lived. They're just like their parents, grumbling in sin, complaining. God punishes them, venomous snakes, a bronze snake, lifted up on a pole. And so all anyone had to do that was bitten by a snake, they just had to look at it and they would live. Now as a little aside, it's worth noting that Jesus picks up on this very incident to teach us something about himself. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For the Israelites, it was look up at the lifted snake and live. For us, it's just believe in the lifted up Jesus and have eternal life. Like we saw last week, he's the perfect priest, sacrificed himself in our place on a cross, lifted up to die. You can't come to God any other way, but that is the way. There is a way. Simply by believing in the lifted up Christ. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now back in Numbers, and the point of the snake incident is to show us the sin of the second generation. Uh, They've just had a military victory where their parents were defeated. In the verses after this, uh, they're going to enjoy three more military victories. Chapter 21 is all about God beginning to give the people the land, not because they're better than their parents, they're grumblers, but God's still going to give them the land. And so just as he did in Hormah, 
God continues in chapter 21 to give Israel tastes of what's to come. More deposits, if you like, guaranteeing the future of the promised land. Uh, in verse 21, the uh, Amorites come out against Israel, and that's just a really dumb thing to do at this stage of their history, because God's on the march with Israel, and so they are smashed. In verse 32, there's more Amorites to deal with. Finally, in verses 33 to 35, the people of Bashan are struck down. Each time, what we're seeing is God handing their enemies over to them. They conquered the people, they took over their lands, and the lands that they occupy, that they won, if you like, in, the, in this chapter, in chapter 21, actually becomes part of the promised land. They haven't crossed over the Jordan yet, they're not into the land, but this section of land becomes part of the promised land. Two and a half tribes end up living in these very lands. God's already giving them the promised land here in chapter 21. They're deposits guaranteeing the future of the entire promised land. Now, these are wonderful truths for you and I to be learning about God, that he brings his people into the land despite their sin. They don't deserve it, but he gives it to them anyway. And before they even get in, God gives them assurances that they'll be given all the land by giving them deposits of the land along the way. Now, when we come to the Lord Jesus, we see that these things are still true today, just even more so. We've already touched on it, haven't we, of God's kindness in dealing with our sin. Christ Jesus lifted up on a cross. We've celebrated it together with communion this morning, that all we need to do is believe in him, just trust in him, and our sins are really taken away. Eternal life is ours. And having made us his people, God also gives us deposits, a deposit guaranteeing the future. The true promised land, the new creation, it beckons. And God gives us a down payment, a deposit guaranteeing our place in that new creation. Turn across with me, please, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul here is speaking of our longing, our desperate longing for life in the new creation. He speaks of our mortal bodies as tents, but that in the future of heaven, God has an eternal dwelling in store for us as his people, which means that as we wait we're longing for what's promised. We're looking forward to the glory of life in the new creation with Christ Jesus. In fact, as we grow in our godliness, we groan for the life to come. And as we wait, God gives us a deposit to guarantee our future. He gives us himself, his Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 4. Verse 4. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul says here we groan. We're looking forward to death being swallowed up by life. The very purpose God made us was so that we would enjoy eternal life with him. And so each day we say, one day closer. We're one day closer. And in the meantime, God has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
When someone wants to assure us of uh, something in the future, they give you a taste of it in advance. You, you get a part of it uh, before the whole thing comes in. It's like a deposit on a house. Uh, let's say you're selling your house. Let's say your house is worth $250,000. And so the people wanting to buy your house are going to give you a deposit of $50,000. Now, they don't usually give you a cow as a deposit or a racehorse or a car or a watch. They give you money because you're selling your house for money, $250,000 worth of money. And so the deposit they're going to give you is going to be $50,000 of money. It's part of what you're... What of what's coming. The deposit guarantees that there's more of the same to come to taste of the future. Now God has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that there's more of the same to come. With the Holy Spirit we have a taste of the future because we will enjoy life forever with God in the future And that's been guaranteed by having God with us right now by his Holy Spirit. In the new creation, we will enjoy complete holiness, a life without sin. And in the here and now, we enjoy some victories over sin because of the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit that we live the godly life now. Not perfection, sure, but we're winning some victories now. Because the Holy Spirit is producing within us holiness. He's the Holy Spirit. He gives us the strength to endure when life gets tough. He gives us patience when we need it. It's the Holy Spirit who's working to make us more like Jesus. He's the reason why we can look back on our lives and see the progress that we've made as followers of the Lord Jesus. It's because of the Holy Spirit that we live kingdom lives now, heavenly lives now, because the Holy Spirit's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He's the reason we long and groan for the kingdom. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we find sin painful, frustrating. It shouldn't surprise us when we're dissatisfied with this life, yearning for more, because there is more to come, isn't there? God said so. God's guaranteed us so. When Catherine and I were uh, engaged, it was a strange time. Uh, We'd guaranteed ourselves to each other. Uh, we we uh, started sorting out what life would be like once we were married. We could plan and prepare for it. But we still had to say goodbye to each other each day. Uh, we weren't married yet. We had the frustration of agreeing to be husband and wife, but we weren't husband and wife yet. Now, it was a great time, don't get me wrong. Uh, heady days, courtship and anticipation. But we just wanted to be married. We longed for more. As one of God's people, do you long for more. As you live in your tent, this body that's getting older, as you wrestle and struggle against sin, as you share the pain of those around you as we live in this fallen, messy world, of course we long for more, don't we? Now hopefully you're not getting sucked into the cesspool of worldly living, that in your, that in your life in this age you're so comfortable already that you don't even think about the life to come. You're too busy having a good time down here, oblivious to the pain of those around you, oblivious even to your own sin, to know that you need to struggle for it. No, we hope for much bigger and better things than a comfortable life for you. We pray for you that your life will be a burden, that you'll groan, that you'll groan for the life to come. 
living for the future God has in store, waiting for the eternal life in the new creation. And as you wait for that great day, what is it that makes the promises of God of eternal life seem far off? What is it that makes you groan for the life to come? Maybe it's persecution that can get you down. The way no one wants to hear your point of view whenever you speak up. It could be tragedy. You or someone that you know struck down with illness, involved in an accident, and you just left thinking, but God, why me? Aren't I on your side? Sometimes it might just be that living for the Lord Jesus is just plain hard. You're constantly serving people around you because that's what Jesus did for us and that's what we do for each other and he's told us that's how we're to live. But you never get thanked. You never get noticed. In fact, some people resent your acts of kindness and it can make you wonder whether it's all worth it. Is there a point to this? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I keep hearing of better things coming from God, but how do I know? All I know is pain, tedium and frustration. Day in, day out, looking after your kids. That can get wearing. Caring for a sick relative or friend. The prospect of years ahead of you of washing them, feeding them, being abused by them, even being forgotten by them. Maybe it's just loneliness. And the world out there keeps telling us that there's more to life than this, that I'm worth more than this, that I deserve more than this, but this is what I've got. And as we watch the world pass by with all their supposed freedoms and their carefree lives, it can feel like living for the promises of God is just pie in the sky. Whatever it is that makes you feel like you're missing out or that the grass really is greener on the other side, remember that it is. It really is greener on the other side, on the other side of the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that even in the midst of the pain and the frustration and the tedium, God's already given us a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He's already dwelling within us by his Holy Spirit. He's already transforming us into the likeness of his Son, the Lord Jesus. We already have a taste of what's to come. God's future is guaranteed because it's already begun. The deposit's already been laid out. Which is why we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, do we? We want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And now it's God who's made us for this very purpose and has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again and again we are reminded of the wonder and glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his death for our sakes, that we might be forgiven, that we just need believe in him, put our trust in him, and you give us eternal life. Father, thank you for him. And we thank you that he has sent out his spirit on your people. And so we enjoy 
your deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, that you live within us, dwell within us, right here, right now, by your Spirit. Thank you that you're already making us like the Lord Jesus, preparing us for life in your new creation, eternal life. Thank you, Father, for the guarantee of what is to come. And so as we wait, we pray that we would groan, that we would long for the return of the Lord Jesus, for death to be swallowed up in life. Father, please keep us for that great day. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.